Hello, Metro Augusta. Hello, Georgia. And hello, wherever you are. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the September 20th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Today's show is brought to you as a service of my consulting firm, and that is Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, where we proudly provide services to local government and nonprofit organizations. If you have not already, please follow the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia on Facebook. There we post all of our episodes. So in case you miss something, uh, you can always go back there to find it. Um, also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. We don't post a video every week, but when we do, they're there and usually really good in-depth interviews. So please subscribe so you get notifications when those are dropped. In case you missed last week's episode, that is one to definitely go back and catch. It is on the YouTube channel of the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia. And my guest was Travis Doss, who is the executive director of uh, voter registration and elections for Richmond County. He gave some excellent uh, information regarding how important it is that you vote, uh, let you know that your vote counts, talked about voter registration deadlines and why the list has to be purged from time to time. So we really had a great discussion uh, in preparation for elections that are coming up on November 7th. There are not a lot of them, but he did review uh, some of the things that will be on the ballot in our area. Also, um, I know last week I mentioned it and I'm going to mention it again. Uh, I did a uh, an, an interview with uh, Jermaine Bradley, who is of uh, the More Than the Masters podcast, had a wonderful interview that is on his uh, More Than the Masters YouTube channel. So if you did not get a chance to listen to that, please go and view it. It is an excellent interview. And you know how much I love to just talk about local government and respond to questions that the average person has about it, uh, this was an opportunity for me to do that with Mr. Bradley. Local Matters family, and we have a special, special treat. And that is a guest who is all the way from Detroit, Michigan. Her name is Bridget Brown Jackson, and we have declared ourselves to be cousins. <laughs> Despite the fact that there is not any blood relationship, uh, I think we have some uh, very, very close connections on several other levels. How are you doing today, Bridget? I'm doing great, Jan. It's great to see you, cuz. <laughs> great to see you. Great to see you. Thanks so much. Uh, some of you all may be aware, others may not be aware, but I was a guest on Bridget's podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, it is called Powerful, and she does some wonderful, wonderful things with that podcast. And we're going to let her explain some of those things later on before we close out. But just to let you know that if you did not catch my interview, it is on the Facebook page of the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia. So please uh, check that out if you haven't already. Um, so Bridget, when we talked, clearly found out there were a whole bunch of things the two of us could spend some time talking about. And we're going to spend some time talking about those things today. But before we get into that, can you please, please tell everybody a little bit about who you are, your educational background, and um, how it is that you are where you are today? 
Definitely. So everybody, my name is Bridget Brown Jackson. I am a former educator, but still educator. So I retired in 2019, actually in the city of Flint, Michigan, what we're going to be talking about today. Um, I was an educator for almost 30 years. I spent 17 years leading um, charter school organizations, schools. And so I've dealt with kindergarten all the way to 12th grade. And then I launched my own business. Um, but again, the majority of my life has been spent in education and absolutely, absolutely love it. Uh, had the blessed opportunity to be uh, to go to three of the major universities here in Michigan and just proud to be a Michigander. <laughs> All right. And you've got some connections to Augusta, Georgia, I believe. Yes, I do. My grandfather uh, retired there. Uh, he passed away there uh, in 2018, but spent a lot of time there in the city. I have a lot of family. So yes, I always say Augusta is my other home. All right. Great. And we're going to make sure they all know that you're going to be on Local Matter so they can be tuned in. Yes. All right. Um, there's one other thing. You mentioned your uh, profession in education, but you're also doing some other things now. You do consulting. And I think there's one other thing that you do, too, that you probably want to highlight. Yes, yes. I guess I, I went to education. I was like, huh, because that's still my baby. That's still my love. That's absolutely my passion. I used to dream of teaching. I used to literally as a kid, you know, we all did. We played school, but I took that thing for real. I was like, OK, I'm going to be a teacher. Um, but in 2019, I started my own consulting business, which I had played with as a hobby. So I am the founder of Exponential Edge Adventures. It's a consulting firm where I do training and development for leaders. Uh, and so it's surprising that today we're even going to talk about leadership because uh, that's what got, you know, the, the topic for today in trouble was poor leadership. And so we're going to uh, I, I do that. I work with organizations to train and develop their staff to help them keep and grow uh, the greatest staff possible. In addition, I am a minister. And so I've been doing that for almost 30 years and absolutely love the life that I've been given. That's awesome. Um, and uh, just so you all know, Bridget and I connected through a platform called Black Speakers Network. Uh, we're both members of that network, which is to say that uh, we have our professional consulting endeavor also available to do uh, workshops, keynote speeches, uh, conferences, and those sorts of things. So Bridget will talk a little bit more about uh, her topics later on as we finish up our conversation. Um, as we started getting to know each other and some of the experiences that we had been through, one of the things that Bridget discussed with me was the Flint water crisis. I know just about everybody who had their ears open over the last five or 10 years knows a little something about it. Um, but we really want to delve into that today and the impact that that had not only on a community, but on the ability of the public school system to educate children who were consuming that water. And I know many times, you know, we think environment is kind of important, but maybe it's not so important. Uh, this really hits home about environmental factors and how uh, significant they are. I recall when I was with the city of Augusta, our water, uh, Augusta Utilities Department director, whose name was Tom Weedmeyer, he passed away a few years ago, but one of the things that Tom used to say was that the utilities department was the ultimate public safety agency because if we don't have clean water, we are nowhere. And I think the Flint uh, story explains in great detail why uh, utilities departments, water departments are, are actually part of the public safety system. 
Um, and in preparation for this, I did a little, I'm just going to read a couple of paragraphs. I'm going to let Bridget take it from there. I wanted to sort of give you some background on the water crisis. And I found uh, something that will lay the table for us. And she can kind of take it from there about her experiences there in Flint. Um, it says, a story of environmental injustice and bad decision-making, the water crisis in Flint, Michigan began in 2014 when the city switched its supply from Detroit system to the Flint River in a cost-saving move. Inadequate treatment and testing of the water resulted in a series of major water quality and health issues for Flint residents, issues that were chronically ignored overlooked and discounted by government officials, even as complaints mounted that the foul-smelling, discolored, and off-tasting water piped into Flint homes for 18 months was causing skin rashes, hair loss, and itchy skin. The Michigan Civil Rights Commission, a state-established body, concluded that the poor governmental response to the Flint crisis was a result of systemic racism. Later studies revealed that the contaminated water was also contributing to a doubling and in some case tripling of the incidence of elevated blood lead levels in the city's children imperiling the health of its youngest generation. It was ultimately uh, the determined relentless efforts of the Flint community with the support of doctors, scientists, journalists, and citizen activists that shined a light on the city's severe mismanagement of its drinking water and forced a reckoning over how such a scandal could have been to happen. So you were there. How true does that ring to you? Very, very, very true. And, and to be honest, to help, help the, the, the listeners understand this, I wasn't originally there. I was in Michigan, but I lived about an hour away from Flint. Now I grew up in Flint. So I grew up in Flint. I went to elementary school in Flint, um, moved away from middle school, came back my last year of high school. And so I lived in Flint. Um, I had moved away after uh, I had taught for a couple of years in Flint, outside of Flint, actually in Beecher, uh, which is right out neighboring uh, Flint and came back after being gone for 16 years. I finished my last five years in education there. And so I got a job at one of the local schools. It was a charter school um, during the water crisis. So my husband and I packed up our stuff in from Ypsilanti, Michigan, where we weren't dealing with water crisis. And we moved to Flint in the middle of the water crisis. So we moved there in 2016. Water crisis, again, came around about 2014. Um, 2015 was when a lot of realization was coming out was like, listen, this is more major than what, what they thought. So again, when I, we got there, it was just at the end of people really, truly finding out all of the, the lies and the misunderstanding, well, I ain't even gonna call it misunderstanding, point blank lies and, um, all of the different things that was going on. So we moved in, the, in there in the middle. Um, it was, again, was my last school. At that time, I had had what about 25 years in education. I had told my boss that hired me. He asked me my first week of school, how did it go? And I said, you know, beautiful school. 
beautiful school, uh, very, very much about uh, helping the children. It was an amazing transformational school. It was the ideal place for me to retire from, right? And he asked me the question. He said, how was it? I said, this is the worst school I've ever been at. And at this time, this was my fifth school that I led. This was my seventh school as being in a school. And he looked, he was caught off guard. because He was like, did she really say that? Yes, I really said that. The behaviors were so out of control. And again, we were hearing the rumors and hearing all of this stuff about what had gone on in transport behind the scenes with the water situation. Um, but I didn't make the connection. And one day I woke up, I shook my husband up. Actually, it was in the middle of the morning. And I was like, listen, it's the water. And he was like, okay, he went on back to sleep, didn't understand what I was talking about. And when I went to school the next day, I'm like, wait a minute, it is really seriously the water. So we, we're trying to get to the point uh, down to, okay, what can we do? What can we do to mitigate some of these? So we were trying strategies. We were trying pedagogical solutions, but that wasn't enough because these poor babies have been poisoned. You know, and that's not the word that people use a lot when they talk about it. And they'll say the water crisis. No, the water poisoning. It was a poisoning of a whole entire city, 100,000 people. And then of that, only 40,000 people have done claims. And it's just like it made a major, major impact on a computer. And you said it. that the, the, the article was called environmental injustice. You know, and what I call it is a human made public health crisis. A human made public health poisoning. And it really has affected our children for a while to come. I, while you were speaking, I looked up some statistics here. Flint is a community of approximately 100,000 people, 55% of whom are African-American and 39% of whom are white. So you've got a majority African-American population there. Um, they made these changes with the water system. I guess it used to come from Detroit. Then they decided it was more cost effective for them to do it themselves. And they made a mess out of it. And then they didn't Which tell the people actually about it. crazy. Because they hadn't used the Flint water source for 40 years, over 40 years. They had been using the Detroit water. Like we're talking about decades. We're not talking about, oh, they changed their mind. <laughs> the decades. Right. So they just weren't prepared for that at all. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a lot of stuff that has come out when they started doing the things. A lot of uh, corruption, a lot of ignorance, a lot of, again, apathy. I don't care. Um, and when we look at it, we can backtrack it to a whole lot of other injustices. So we know that GM was the heart of Flint. So Flint was built mm -hmm. up around GM. Mm -hmm. um, in its original exception, when, when GM was big and everything, some of the people, uh, the movers and shakers of Flint was really trying to make Flint a mini Ann Arbor. So if anybody understands the structure of Michigan, Ann Arbor is where the big house is, and Ann Arbor is a full college town. And so that was kind of some of the stuff that they wanted to do with Flint, but GM wasn't having that. And some of the other people who, again, were you know making some of those decisions decide, no, we're going to build it around GM. Well, GM came in and GM left and the city was literally dilapidated. So our former mayor, John Engler, back at the turn of the millennium, he decided uh, to put in a city manager because of the fact of the financial uh, structures that was going on, the 
the, the issues that they were having financially. And so that's where the city manager came in. So when our governor, who was the governor during the time of water crisis, Rick Snyder, when he came in, then he started putting in unelected city managers. And so it was a decision from the city manager. See, they vetoed because the, the, the city council did not want to go with this switch. So they just vetoed and went over it because they really didn't have any power and authority during this. And so it was just a lot of stuff that went on, even down to the fact, Janice, that in October of 2014, GM found out what the water was doing. It was corrupting their parts and stuff. So they stopped using it in October of 2014. In 2015, the city residents were told that the water was okay at the beginning of 2015. They said it was okay. And they continued continue to, encourage to encourage the residents the to use the water. They had a couple of bull watery advisories. They told them, you know, boil the water, but still use it. And it wasn't until at the University of Michigan, Flint campus, that they had some issues with their water. And then that was in the middle of 2015. And so that's when, okay, everything lit, stop. We can't use the water. They started using the filters. And then it started being a big thing. So I came into my school in December of 2015. So when I got to the school, the water fountains were, were covered up. They couldn't drink the water. We had to bring in bottled water and everything. And they had started that before I got there. So they had started that at, at the beginning of the school year. So I left in 2019. Those water fountains were still covered up. They were not able to use water fountains in their own schools. Now we end up getting some machines. Someone donated these machines. They're amazing. I can't even remember the names of them, but they, they filtrated water from the atmosphere and it, it poured out water. And so I think the, the, the tank held about eight gallons, five gallons or something like that. And we would go through those and it, keep, it would keep replenishing it. And then we had bottled water that the children had to. So think about everything that we had to do for their food. We had to do bottled water. We couldn't use the water to clean anything, which we had food delivered from outside. We had a secondary party that did our food. And that was by, because we, we didn't have a kitchen anyways in the, in the school. So we outsourced. But even if we had functions, we had parent functions, we had anything, we literally had to bring water to do all of that stuff. We couldn't do water to do anything. We couldn't do water to clean off an apple. We had to use bottled water for years. Wow. That's just such an inconvenience because we're so used to just turning on that tap and getting clear, clean water. So now I'm curious, you were living in Flint at the time? Is that right? I moved to Flint in November of 2016. So I started working December 2015. So mm -hmm. I commuted for about a year and that got to be like, uh -uh, I can't do this no more. You know, Michigan had a winter and we right. had had a right. horrible winter. I was like, uh-uh. So my husband and I moved and we actually moved into Flint. We could have okay. moved into the suburbs. We moved and into I, Flint. And I was going to ask, what was your water supply like at your place? It, it was the same thing. We had to do bottled water at the home. We had to put filters on the tap. And it was crazy because, again, we I could have chosen to live anywhere. I did choose to go inside the city of Flint because I was it, it hurt my heart with what our children and families were going through. 
And so my husband and I got a chance to see it firsthand, you know, in everything. And again, right before we moved, we, we moved 20, what is this, 2023? We moved last year, 2022. So in 2022, they were just finishing up some of the piping and everything because all the pipes had to be redone um, from the, you know, the, the municipality to the homes. And then it was the job of the residents to do their inside their homes if anything was. And it was. And we can go into that. There was corrosion. There was a report, uh, Janice, called the Red Dot Report. And uh, I, well, I call it the Red Dot Report. It wasn't called the Red Dot Report. So the news had reported it and they had this article and it was talking about all of these homes. So a normal, uh, okay, so you should never have any lead. Let me put that out there. No lead is safe, but by EPA standards, it's 15 parts per billion. Okay, you heard me say 15, one five. Mm-hmm. There was a home that had a 13,000 parts per billion in their water source. I I said that right, 13,000. When they did the the report, when they were doing it, they thought this can't be, this is, it's an error. And they did it again and again and again and got those. We had some homes that had thousands, some had hundreds. My aunt was on that red dot report. I call it the original. So you could click on it. It was clickable. You could click on it and see where the homes were. And I seen her stream and I clicked on it. And I was like, she's out. So she's been suffering from hair loss. Her and her husband had medical issues. They're still suffering from medical issues because again, they were telling them in 2015, it was okay to drink the water. Now, even though it was discolored and smelly, even well, though it was smelly, some people's weren't discolored, okay. but it still had contaminants in it. And I was trying to just say the name, trihalthomethanes, it's what it's called. They had that in there. That is not good for us. And so again, as we said, just the things that happen. So adults, so can you imagine if my aunt, and she was in her, back to 60, maybe beginning of her 60s, um, and all of this stuff, still going to the doctor, still going through all that stuff. And that stuff is not being shown on the news. So we're not hearing about it anymore as if it went away. It didn't go away. People are still suffering, still suffering. And I didn't leave Flint because of, of that. You know, I left because, you know, many people that listen to my podcast and listen to everything, I lost my dad. And so I moved to Detroit to deal with his estate matters. But People are still dealing with that. It has not gone away. Some of these children are still suffering from this stuff. Some of them could have, if it's not by the grace of God, have long lasting issues because they were poisoned. And that, and I really wanted to get to that. Um, so you're in a school, purpose of which is to educate children the best way you can. And then you find the impacts of lead and probably other toxins. So what, what did you see in those children that made you just wake up one night and say, hey, it's the water? What, what, what types of behaviors? Can you tell us in a little bit detail how hard it was to educate those kids because of these behaviors? Yeah. So like it, it was and I'm not laughing. I don't want anybody that don't know me know that I'm laughing. I'm laughing to keep from getting upset about it. That's that's my defense mechanism. I'm like, listen, we had kids. So I, I all of my schools, even when I taught. So I taught for 10 years before I became a school administrator. 
all of my schools were in urban areas. My first school was in Detroit, Michigan, and we were in the heart of the, the neighborhood. So mm-hmm. I'm, I've been, I have been used to dealing with children that come to school, some of them, and again, it's not, you know, I don't want people to think just because it's urban school, you got behavior problems automatically. That's not so. We got behavior problems everywhere. And we can see what a lot of this violence that's happening in the schools. But sometimes in our urban areas, our children have not had some of the support, the training and some of the things that they need that their first recourse is to act out and have some behavior uh, challenges. Well, this school was doubling. Like I had kids picking up chairs, throwing chairs at teachers. I had never had that. Not, not here. Broom. One little boy chasing somebody around the building, a male at that. Little boy second grade chasing one of the male instructors with a broom, um, biting, um, spitting. Like, and again, I've had kids talk back. I've had kids act out. I've had kids, but I had never had behaviors this egregious. And so immediately I was new to the school. So I was already going to put that in. That was a part of my 90 day program. Um, But I was able to expedite some things as I start seeing, okay, this stuff is not normal. So one of the first things we did was start working with some health officials and getting them into the school. And so we literally had uh, one of the local entities in Flint um, had a, a bus that goes out and it comes to you to serve for social emotional support. And so we got that started. We got that instituted um, that very next year. But before we could get that, we had the actual people coming in and doing sessions with the kids and doing some different things, teaching them conflict resolution, um, but also pushing the parents, go get your children seen, go get them. Some of them hadn't even taken their children to the doctor because they didn't see some of the effects, right? Or what the, the physical things that they see it, the mm-hmm. diarrhea, the constipation, those other lead poisoning things. So they didn't see some of that. So they weren't doing that. And I'm like, no, we need to take our children. We need to do some things. Another thing that we were able to do was mitigate it with uh, nutrition. So we, we had the healthy foods that were able to come in. And then the state did give us uh, the whole city, uh, a lot of stuff. So kids got uh, parents got vouchers to go to the farmer's market or to the grocery stores. And if they were getting uh, EBT or what we used to call food stamps, they would get double the money um, and so that they could get fruit and vegetables and things like that. And so we did a lot of that at the school. We had a kitchen. We had I said we didn't have a kitchen, a cafeteria kitchen, but we had a science room that had a kitchen and we would go in there and cook and do different things with the students so that they were confident. We had uh, twice a day we would take fresh fruits and vegetables down to the classroom. And so we tried to do a lot of mitigation through nutrition. And do you think that that was helpful or successful? Very much. I think some of the students that would have uh, had some other issues that that was able to help, like I say, right away. And definitely, like I say, uh, then scaffolding it with uh, those interventions with health, uh, mental health services, um, that made a big, big difference. And then we started educating our staff, um, helping them to understand, you know, don't look at the behaviors that we see on the outside and understand that this is some things that we're going to have to mitigate this for a minute. And we were. We were able to see drastic changes uh, by that third year. 
So three years though. So basically there was a long intensive process involving mental health services, nutrition, uh, more uh, resources to your staff. Uh, you had to do a, a ton of things to try to overcome the effects of this poison, which was the water in Flint, uh, in a way that would even get you to a point where you could start educating kids. Yes. Okay. So this teaches us about the connections between environment, uh, local government actions, inactions. Uh, you mentioned corruption, so we're going to get back to that because I don't want to let that slide. And how that impacted uh, public education in, in that community um, because it, it you can't separate any of the stuff. It's all related. Yes. Okay. Okay. Now let's let's talk some about corruption. That is a word I haven't addressed it an awful lot on local matters. I, at one point, I think at some point I'm going to get to the point where I do a series on public corruption because I think it really is out of control. Um, there are too many people running for office for the wrong reasons, um, and the public that when they go to the polls. Um, but tell me how you think corruption was wrapped into this whole scenario that that turned the world upside down for those 100,000 people who lived in Flint, Michigan. Well, there was a lot of people that knew up front. And my thing is, you know, we know that there was some racism in there. You know, mm -hmm. there was some racial injustice, but there was a lot of people that knew up front. Tell me how you couldn't come out and expose some things. And so, you know, I, this is my opinion. So my daddy used to teach me this. <laughs> you know, if, if you don't have some facts behind it, just just your opinion. Um, so this is my opinion with it because I'm like, there were too many high officials that understood and knew to not. And when I use the word corruption, I'm not just talking about people are being corrupt because they're being corrupt because there's a financial or lucrative thing. I'm talking about ethical too as well. Um, because really one of the people who helped expose it was one of the local doctors at uh, Hurley Medical Center, which is our biggest hospital uh, there in Flint, Michigan. And she started seeing the lead levels in some of her pediatric children that was like, wait a minute, what's going on? And all of the stuff that even happened with her and some of the stuff that was said to her and some of the threats and you know all of this stuff. And it's like, when do we end? Because we're talking about people's lives. We can, we can replace widgets. So GM could re replace their parts if their parts were corroded. Uh, we can get new roads. You know, we can get new, we can't get new human beings. There was an influx of Legionnaire's disease that, that started in 2014. And it's like, okay, tell me why the handwriting wasn't on the wall. Somebody was being quiet for somebody, for somebody, for somebody. You know, it's just it it doesn't it didn't make sense for lives that matter. There was one young lady that I don't know her, but I read about her story and it hurt my heart. She was in her 20s. Um, she was a dancer, an amazing dancer. She came down sick during the, the onset during 2014. She struggled for years until her surmise where she lost her life. And again, contributed to the water crisis. And I'm like, and they said she was an amazing dancer. She had so much potential and everything. Who was willing to have a voice for that? 
And so there were people in city council that had voices, but they were squashed out. There were people in the community that were trying to have voices, but again, they were squashed out. Our state government was just absolutely horrible. And this is a piece where, where I want to get to is that even the judge um, at the uh, uh, state at the state level throughout the cases of the governor and his staff. So they were charged, but then it was dismissed and then it was thrown out. That was in last year, 2022, our Michigan Supreme Court uh, invalidated their indictments. So tell me where in any corporation, in any organization where the leaders do certain things and there's no recourse. I'm talking about real organizations. Right, right. You know, no recourse whatsoever. And those were the decisions at your hand. People's lives were taken. Not just the money that was lost, people's lives, because that's irreplaceable. It really is. And, and I also want you to talk some about the long-term consequences on the young people uh, that you discussed. Um, obviously, in the environment where you all were, you made some changes to diet that um, had some positive impact on those behaviors. Uh, but I would suspect that that's not going to last forever, that they're not, not going to have access to those additional uh, nutritional supports and, and guidance. Well, it didn't. I want to say it ended even before. I want to say when I was there, 20, I left 20, 2018, 2019 school year. I don't think they, they had it. I don't think we were doing it anymore. We were personally doing it as a school, but we weren't getting funding for it. And for a child that has behavioral problems, I assume some of them may have had some learning issues as well. Yes. Um, what and even that? some had learning issues previous mm -hmm. and then they were exaggerated. I have mm -hmm. one little girl. Okay, got this book on my desk. Excuse my book. It, hmm? it was thick. Her her mom brought in, I promise you, it was about two inches thick of all her medical reports, her doctor visits. She had, um, her skin was just abrasive. It almost felt like a, a scouring pad where she just had broken out all over her entire body. Now, her mom actually ended up moving, so she wasn't there when I left, so she wasn't there that long. She was there that first year, and her mom was just trying to help build a case. She was a voice. She was a voice for the community, trying to just be an advocate for it, but it was just, it's absolutely ridiculous, and she didn't have any learning disabilities, but then she started having issues in school, and part of them, too, even she didn't want to come to school because she had all of these abrasions on her body from breaking out from the water. And that was just taking showers. They had stopped drinking the water. That was just from showering in the water. You couldn't, you couldn't even bathe in the water. It was useless. The water was useless. Yes. Okay. Um, and in terms of long-term uh, effects, uh, do, you, do you have any idea? Have you heard anything as you've left? You know, I wonder, would these kids ever be able to graduate from high school and, and be productive citizens, do trade school or college or anything like that successfully? 
Yeah, and so some of them, I don't want to make it gloom and doom that like everybody in the city, because there was a lot of people that weren't affected by it, that drank the water and stuff. And for some reason, some of them weren't, but you have some that had. And the ones that we saw at the school that I was really in touch with their parents and, you know, talk with them a lot. Some of them had already had underlining issues. So it just exacerbated it. Exacerbated. Um, and then some of the younger ones, remember we had babies that they were using this water in their formula. We had, and those children were starting to come into the school as I was getting ready to leave. And so again, I had to remind the staff all the time, we have to remember that these were the babies that was drinking this contaminated water right during this time. And so now they're kindergartners, they're first graders. And we were, I was seeing that kindergarten class of, uh, the, the, the five years out, that, that first kindergarten class, they were literally um, the, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of issues. And that was the last year that I was there. And so we know that lead can, can do some, some long lasting things, but we also know and that there can be some, again, um, things that can mediate it. And I do, I did see a lot of growth our test scores started moving and doing better. As we looked at the citywide scores, test scores and stuff like that, there was a slump in going down. I was trying to do some research to, um, uh, to connect those dots and do some of those things with that prior to moving. But there are some kids that are going to have some long lasting effects to it. Like I said about my aunt, my aunt has some long lasting effects to that. Like literally, she has a Ziploc bag, a gallon Ziploc bag that she saved of the hair that she just lost in that first year. And she has long hair that flows down her, 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 her neck, past her neck, and just hair coming out. And wow. so we know that some people have had a long lasting, but overall, people are moving forward. There is some things happening. I would say the biggest thing that's going on with them right now is the fact that they have not gotten their money yet. Yeah. And, and I was going to ask about that. Litigate, did they file suit? How did that wind up? They did. There was a suit that was filed. Um, there was a $626 million uh, award, uh, which again, the residents have not seen any of that money as of right now. Um, and I tried to call a couple of people. I checked, I did some news reports, tried to do some research as of right now, not. But the lawyers are getting a portion of theirs. And so it's almost 50 million that the lawyers will be given right now. But you still have some people. And the reason why I'm making that, because I, I believe, you know, again, all trades, they should, you know, earn a keep and get their money. But at the same time of what was going on, I do believe it should be. Uh, a fair deal that the people who are suffering, because many of these lawyers were not local, many of them, they, they came outside. And so, you know, don't, don't be a, another injustice on top of the people who are already suffering, because many of them, that little bit of settlement they get is nothing compared to the health bills that they're dealing with. Because again, like I said, the one little girl that I shared, her report was two, two inches thick of just some of the medical stuff that her mom had, you know, just the testing and all of the different things that she had to go through because it was just, it was just ridiculous. That is, that is so sad. And all, as you said, 
a combination of negligence, um, uh, just not caring about folks. You know, we've been seeing all these hurricanes and seeing all of these devastations across the United States, and we feel for those people, but those are natural. You know, this was a man-made catastrophe that now is not in the limelight anymore. And I just, I always still talk about it because Flint is my hometown. It's always going to be my baby. They always have my heart that we do not forget and neglect. And that's why my husband and I, we actually started a nonprofit um, to work with literacy, to put uh, books and, and um, literature in the homes of the children to help again be uh, a mediation between that literacy gap and what has happened. That's awesome. That's awesome. So as you, you stay there for a few years, you move on back to Detroit for some family reasons. Um, tell us, unless there's anything else you want to say about the water crisis, I would love for our listeners to learn a little bit more about uh, you and some of your suits and, and those sorts of things. So are you ready to shift gears into that? Well, let me tell you one more thing about the poison, because okay. I want people to understand that the lead poison, it affects three major things. Your nervous system, your gastrointestinal tract, and your blood flowing tissues. So think about those three entities in our body, major. And so again, this was a big deal. You got people, again, that, that person who was living in that house with the 13,000 parts per billion. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, and I need to look it up, if that was the home. I know it was one home. They had to literally condemn it and knock it down. People had to come out of it. There was nothing they could do to even try to fix the water structure within that house. And so I just want, again, to put that out there for people just to, to remember. So when we hear these injustices and see these different things, that we continue to be advocates for other people. So I'm done. I'm off my soapbox now. Continue to advocate and realize there's nothing you need more than a clean water supply. Nothing. Uh, in America, know. you know, we're not in, in a third world country. Right, right. Exactly. We're not in the jungle somewhere. I mean, this is this is a, our water supply, and we're supposed to have the best resources in the world. Um, I know sometimes uh, residents will complain about the water bill. Does it go up every year? And, and that sort of thing. You have to make some investments in order to ensure that your water system functions properly. Um, and the testing and things that you talk about, I know most local water systems have some people inside who do those sorts of tests. Um, so if it's set up properly, those sorts of things ought to be caught. Don't know what happened in Flint. Um, but but there are a series of local and state regulations, federal regulations, I think, as well, um, that have to be complied with in order to run a safe water system. So this really is a, a tragedy of, of giant proportion. Um, there have also been a few communities here uh, in the Augusta area, not in Augusta proper, but some not far away, that have also had some difficulties with, with maintaining a clean water supply. So um, you've enlightened us about how it impacts. It's not just, oh, this water smells bad. It can ruin your health and it can ruin your education and it can impact you for the rest of your life if you don't have a clean water supply. So thank you so much. They, they say it's about 12 people that died from Legionnaires. I, mm -hmm. I, I guarantee that number was different, much different than that. 
And so, yeah, it did. It took people's lives. And so we just take, take, take your that. life or compromise your quality of life. Because I mean, I just as a parent, I'm thinking, you know, suppose my, I had a child that had some long term impacts of this. I mean, I would be devastated, be absolutely devastated. Um, now, let's shift gears about your consulting practice. Tell us a little bit more about your consulting practice, as well as your speaking uh, pursuits, what types of topics you take on when you go out to speak, uh, who your ideal clients are with relationship to your consulting practice. Just sort of tell us a little bit more about that side of your life. Yes, I love it. This is this is my idea dream. Like, but I still am passionate about education. So sometimes I, I cry. So I'm like, oh. like right now. I drove past a local school and all the cars were in the parking lot. I said, that would be me doing my staff right now. But I absolutely love this phase of my life. And so I am a um, consultant. I'm a certified disc instructor. So I use uh, personality profiles to help people understand their teams, what their uh, strengths are as a team, in addition to um, how to level up that team. And so sometimes, uh, even my, my current clients right now are mostly business owners. Some of them have six-figure businesses um, and they don't really know how to galvanize their team. Um, in addition, I've worked with a couple uh, corporations. Uh, that's where I want to lean a lot more to because again, we see it, we know it, that there is a lot of leadership that needs to happen because sometimes people have this idea about leadership that it's, you know, follow the leader. No, it's only follow the leader if the leader is really leading. Case in, in point with what happened in Flint, you know, it, it needed better leadership, right? And so that's what I do now. I love actually doing it, um, team development, leadership development. I speak on those same topics. And so I talk a lot about emotional intelligence. And so earlier when I was saying that corruption, Janice, you know, again, what in you ethically could allow you to do that? And so if people have emotional intelligence, empathy is a part of that. And so I help people develop that. And so I love talking about that. So we have conversations about that. Uh, Self-awareness, again, team effectiveness, team building. Those are a lot of the things that I do keynotes on right now, uh, as well as as I said before, uh, I am a minister of the gospel and I love talking, you know, all things moving and building this kingdom. Awesome. Tell us a little bit more about the powerful, power, uh, powerful podcast. Yes. So I actually started powerful and it started off as an educational podcast. And about a year in, I switched the name to powerful because I had uh, published a book or the book was getting ready to be published. I started the podcast first. And then um, in 2020, I switched it to Powerful. And uh, 2021, I wrote my book, Powerful. And so what I do is I have people come on and we talk about powerful conversations, um, powerful testimonies, powerful stories that's going to motivate other people and let them know. I don't care what you're going through. At the end of the day, you still are powerful. And all of the uniqueness is within. Awesome. And, and where do people find it? We'll have some links uh, below uh, to, to so you can click on them. But I just, you know, for somebody that may be walking around while they're listening to this, uh, can you please tell us where we go find your podcast? Wait, they can go to um, 
it's it's on every platform. So it's out there. It's on iHeart, it's on Apple, it's on Amazon, Audible. If people love to listen to Audible books, uh, you can find it all there. Um, the best way to find it, because it's just one word, powerful. And so if they put in Bridget Brown Jackson, it's definitely going to pop up. Um, but they also can go to my website. My website is Bridget Brown Jackson. Bridget is spelled uniquely. So it's B-R-I-G-I-T-T-E. Um, they even Google me, it's more than likely going to pop up. So I love, that's my little thing that I love saying, Janice, Google me. <laughs> there's no other Bridget Brown Jacksons out there. It's a whole bunch of Bridget Browns and Bridget Jacksons, but no other Bridget Brown Jackson but me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Same here. I'm Janice Allen Jackson. I went out on Facebook. I think there's a Janice Jackson Allen and stuff like that. Do not confuse me with them. Um, I am Janice Allen Jackson. Thank you so much, Bridget, for being with us. Thank I think, um, uh, unfortunately, in one of the worst ways, this helped people understand how important it is that you have a responsible local government. Um, because as you said, somebody had to know something was wrong. Why didn't somebody say something? You know, how was this allowed to go on for as long as it did under the pretense that everything was going to be okay? Um, so that, that speaks to the importance of having ethical people uh, working for you and people who really do care about uh, the future and, and care about people just, just generally. So we really appreciate you building those connections for us. Is there anything else that you want to share with us before we close out this episode of Local Matters? I just want to say thank you for this opportunity. Again, Flint is my heart, uh, my baby, my passion. Uh, it raised me. Uh, I am the leader that I am today because of my foundation that I got there in elementary school. So I definitely, definitely um, am very uh, grateful for this opportunity to talk about uh, Flint, as well as to talk about my story. So thank you so much, uh, Janice. Thank you. I close with my favorite Bible verse, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. or Thursday at 7 p.m. here on 103.7 FM or 1600 AM. Or please go to SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts at any time because local matters.